0: Goalkeeping podcast is sponsored by Pro GK. For all your goalkeeping needs, please visit pro gk.com. After an 18 month hiatus, we are back. With Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast. On tonight's pod we speak to Auckland City and former New Zealand all-whites goalkeeping coach Paul Goffy, no! uh thanks for joining me tonight on Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast. How are you mate?
1: Very well, thank you. Great to hear you. Great to talk to someone with the same accent as me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. So, obviously, you are based down in New Zealand, yes, right? Yep, yep. And how long have you been down there? I forget now. Was it 2004 you moved down there? Yeah,
1: 2000 or 2005, so probably what's that 16 17 years, something like that. Now it's gone quick,
0: yeah. Crikey, I, I actually remember, um, probably. A few months before you went down there, you and I had gone to some sort of uh, glove launch of some description. That's
1: I it. Know. Yeah, that was with a with a different firm. I think it was Martin Brennan's firm.
0: That's right. So that's, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right hey?
0: <laughs> <laughs> now this is a, a GK only situation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah. Thanks for giving up your time. Obviously, uh, as we're recording this, it's half past nine up here in Glasgow, and eight thirty a.m. in the morning in Auckland. Yep. Or are you in Wellington or Auckland.
1: Auckland? No, I'm in Auckland now. Right. Yeah, we're just I'm just uh, just outside of Auckland
0: city. Lovely. Okay. Well, um, so just to give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself, um, obviously you are born and bred in Essex. Yeah. Hence. Uh, our fantastic accents um, yeah. you was a schoolboy at South End United yep yeah. uh, did your YTS at Colchester and was a pro there uh, yep yeah. at Colchester yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. then went to Chelmsford City I tell you what Yeah. you talk us through it you tell us where where you've been yep yeah. so I was um,
1: schoolboy school um, with, with South End originally before that was sort of with QPR as a younger lad then went to South End and then moved, didn't get my um, YTS there, so I signed at Colchester and had my uh, apprenticeship there, which was, um, as you know, back in the day was a bit different to what these boys get now. Twenty eight dollars or twenty eight pound fifty or something I was on in digs away from home at sixteen. Um, so it was a good, quick way to grow up. Um, did did the two years, did the two years there, and then um, and then after. Um, got released and I went and it was a bit sort of like most young goalkeepers was wanting to play and thought I was the best thing in the world, but I actually hadn't played any games really. So I was lucky enough to go to Chelmsford City with Joe Sullivan um, and Terry Harris and got myself sort of playing there for a year. And then um, was fortunate from that one. I had a move then to, um, I had a move over then to Gray's Athletic with the Saxon brothers, with the coaches there, um, and some really good boys um, playing along that sort of team. And then went and then playing with Dave Cusack in front of me, centre-half, and then he took over from John Stewart Dagenham, and that would have been about 94, 95, or somewhere around that time, and then signed at Dagenham. And then I was there for a good number of years um, before making a move to um, Hayes, the, they just finished third in the conference, so we went to Hayes. Um, it wasn't my best time in football. I had a broken leg, whatever there. And Gary Hill then signed me back at Dagnam, where I did another good three years there at, um, with uh, with those boys. And then just sort of summing it up, um, kept getting injured. So I wasn't... The club at Dagnam were moving more and more full-time, so it was taking me away from sort of... Because it was semi-pro, my the my job I was doing, and then moved into... Had a year with... Uh, the like uh, Justin Edinburgh and Jonesy at Billericke. They were doing a, a younger team coming through and then you had an older keeper. So I had a, um, a year there. But obviously, prior to that, I just missed out, probably Thurrock. We I had a, a, a sort of 18 month spell there and then moved myself to New Zealand and was going to retire. And then it all sort of kicked on from there.
0: <laughs> yeah, where <clears throat> probably, arguably, you had a, your most successful period yeah in definitely. terms of silverware yeah, sure. yeah um so yeah, that's brilliant, thanks for summing that up. um you did a better job than I could have done there um <laughs> so just what comes to mind there, obviously, <clears throat> you've gone um from south into Colchester um well, and as you said, done your apprenticeship there you know that that must have been um an interesting situation. Um, being sort of a, a full time YTS back in the day mm. and as you said there you know doing the jobs and uh <laughs> it's quite different to how things are today what 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 just give us an insight into how that was for you as a as a young goalkeeper um
1: yeah it was it, it was an interesting one because it was um, we were, those first year apprentices you go in there's a group of the second years of, above you that have already been there and sort of done it for a year so um a goalie called George Patton was the goalie in the. It was the second year above me, who was the sort of head boy as such, and he was he was a top top fella to uh, have around. Scott Barrett um, was the the first team goalie at the time, so Scotty was for me. It was he was great individually in the sessions one on one, but like how it used to be in those days when you get in the change room and uh, you're the young one. In the, in the away change room and the first team were in the home one, you get to do your job. So, you know, you're making your tea for the boys in the morning. You're doing the laundry. Yeah. My, my jobs when I was there was the, was the sort of kit boy with George. And yeah. we, so we were in charge of after training, sticking all the training kit in the washing machines, waiting to put it all in the dryer, setting it out the next morning and then packing the skips when we, when the teams went away. Um, I had, a, I had, um, Boots of Nicky Smith and Mario Walsh was I was cleaning those ones, um, so they were yeah you know, they were two guys that I'd seen playing at Southend when I was there as a schoolboy. So it was always good to be around them. Um, Steve Foley was my youth team manager, who went on to sort of Norwich and Ipswich, and he was a hard bastard but very very honest and uh, probably helped me uh, a lot. Brian Owens was the physio. No one wanted to be injured because when you was injured, you were doing harder work than probably most of the other ones. And uh, so the physios nowadays are slightly different to where they were then. Um, No S and C and none of that stuff. So um, it was yeah, no no worry about loading like they get here now and uh, stuff like you just you just ran and worked and and it was the sort of I'd say the old school days, but. You know, it still has its place in football for me. Um, but yeah, there, there was a it was a, a real interesting time cleaning the terraces after the games, and we had a couple of successful years there. The first year we missed out on goal difference to get promoted back into League Two. Um, Barnet beat us on, on overall goal difference, and then the second season was really good. Roy McDonough came in, and he brought in a load of boys in there. You know, we had. Um, Dave Martin was the centre half, like I say, Mario Walsh. Um, the, the the boys that they had in there were fantastic, and uh, the team spirit and stuff. We learnt a lot from what they did, and it was a different culture, a bit of a drinking one in that point. Um, but the boys, you know, they they won the they won the conference, and they also you know we won the FA Trophy as well, um, and and they actually you know did well there under Roy. Um, it wasn't a huge squad, so everybody knew everybody, which was great. It's not like nowadays where there's, you know, 30 or 40 in a squad or whatever in some of these other clubs. But it was a yeah really, really, really good time. Um, taught me a lot. And then moving that into, you know, the, the Cheltswoods and the, the, the Dagenhams and this kind of stuff, it really sort of kicked
0: on from there. Yeah. So just whilst I'm listening to you, you know, speak about um, your time at Colchester, did you have a goal uh, a goalkeeping coach? No. No. No, We just we
1: just sort of took us off. Scott Barrett, <coughs> myself, and George. It would be with three of us. We'd just go off. We'd do a little bit, um, and then there was no. That was there was the days when there was no goalie on the bench or anything like that. So you'd play Tuesday night in the combination reserve league, uh, which was still a, a good league to play in because you're playing against all of the other sides. Uh, pro sides as well, so you you know your normal week. If you have, if your Thursday mornings at college, and then um, and then that was that was sort of how it went. And if you weren't if you weren't playing on the weekend um, in the youth side or something like that, the physio would take you on the Friday and just run the wattsies off you, <laughs> and then um, and then you'd you'd get up and go again the next week. So yeah, Steve Foley, you'd take the he would maybe take the keepers towards the end of a session, and that would just be like. You know, twenty balls smashed at you, or diving around and everything. So very, very different to how it is in our game now, with with you and
0: I. Yeah, yeah. So, so no real sort of uh, speci- specialist goalkeeper coaching. Um. Nah,
1: no, the, the, the only two like it was those then when they used to have um, when you we, we would have um, so like say like just whether you know, or not, but Jeff Wood um, would come in and he would do he would do someone like the. For example, we might do Norwich for a day, go to Ipswich for a day, then come to Colchester for a day, yeah. and then he might go down to the south end and do it. So like, days where the goalie coaches weren't full time, but they just the club would get them in for a day a week at different um, and rotate <laughs> them around.
0: Yeah, so essentially, so, what what they be like freelance?
1: Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so they'd get him in for a day, do this one, <laughs> and then and then we had and then we moved into the likes of we had um, John Keeley, Came in on uh, came in on loan at one point, so he did a little bit with us, and then um, and then you know and then we'd go off to Southend and do a little bit there as well. So it was always a bit different, yeah, mm. different
0: to now. Yeah, amazing how much uh, the sort of the goalkeeper coach role has developed over the last couple of decades and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, definitely. obviously definitely a positive. Mm. Um, okay, so. Going from Colchester, and then as you said, you've you've gone to Chelmsford City, and possibly think that you're a certain level of a goalkeeper. Yet haven't any experience. How did that sort of manifest itself? What was the situation at Chelmsford?
1: So we had there was my myself and a goalie called Darren Williams, who was part of the England sort of semi-pro team. Um, so he was he was very driven in what he wanted to do. Um, so I'd sort of play along play along with him. So we'd train, whether I played in the reserves and then involved with the first team. Um, it was sort of in and out. Joe Sullivan was the old, an old goalie himself. Terry Harris, they're good They good non-league guys. And uh, they were great to learn off of and be around. Um, so it didn't really, it didn't probably go at chunks how I wanted it to go. Um, but if I'm honest, when you look back on it, i was only you know what would that be 17 18 or something like that so in the in the bigger scope of it i wasn't probably ready yeah. and um, and then that that opportunity came up by playing a few games there and doing okay where i went to grace yeah um, and then grace was a completely different experience it was very um, long say long ball so we uh, i got the ball and looked up, and everyone was on the halfway line, and we had the two biggest strikers you'd ever see in the world, so that was just kicking to them. Um, and then, fortunately, probably my second year at Grace, I don't know if you remember, they bought in in the Diodora Premier League, it was at the time, they bought in a kicking kick roll instead of throw-ins. They wanted to try it out.
0: I do so vaguely, that was, not that I was around yeah, really for that, but I do remember reading it.
1: Yeah, that was the year, so a ball would go out for a throw-in, and instead of you... Um, if you if you just put your arm up to the side, the ref knew that you were kicking it in. So instead, because they thought that would create more goals and stuff through from there. So basically, what happened? The team that we had at Gray's just changed to Giants. So I'm a, I was a I was a big lump, but I was the smallest one in the team. We had a guy Billy Goldstone, um, and uh, who, who who used to play as fullback, and he could ping a ball miles. So what basically what we'd do is with the ball would go out. So anywhere from my 18-yard box to their attacking half, it goes out, he puts his hand up because it's a throw-in rule as well. You can't be offside. So they just put the ball down and just smash the watches out of it. <laughs> and uh, it, we got very known for this real long ball stuff. I'll tell you, Glenn, in the end, it was easier to defend one of those from the side. Uh, sorry, it was easier to defend like a corner. Yeah. So one of our rules... The, the coaches got into me if the ball came back to me like a back pass or coming back to me instead of me trying to kick it out of the field I just kicked it off for a corner <laughs> because then we could set up and defend a corner bow and, and funnily enough that, that, that rule got changed at the end of that year we were the only league to trial it and yeah. uh, it never got never got anywhere but yeah different different times that one that was a real
0: experience So, um, so was that your sort of um, first experience of sort of getting into a men's first team and, and staying there?
1: Yes, pretty much so. Yeah, yeah. Played in there, did very well. One mm-hmm. the like the Essex Senior Cup with them. Um, did did everything we do. You know, playing at the Grays um, that ground there at the wreck was yeah. always a, a horrible place to go down and play with a big sports all behind the uh, the ground. Yeah, the, I remember it. The field was never the best, and you know, all the flats overlooking the house, that kind of stuff. So there was some again. There was some top lads in there um, that were playing with us. Um, and uh, and then we and then we obviously with Kusack playing as the centre half, Davey was there. Dave lived around the corner from me. Um, he got the job when Spilly moved away from Dagenham, and uh, he took over uh, when we were uh, when we were sitting in. I think we were sitting sort of mid tables in the conference. So I waited till the end of the season. Left Grays, went with him, yeah, and had a you know. And then that's where really, like obviously. I'd played at, at Gray's but that was really where Dagnam sort of started really getting into it. You know, we were in the conference, Bob Boulder was the goalkeeper, um, that I was with. And, uh, um, and he was, you know, ex-Liverpool and Charlton. And now he's think he still does hospitality at Charlton and stuff. And just the most relaxed guy in the world. And, uh, and, and very good to learn off of, mm. um, And as I say, like most young keepers, you come in and you are like, you know, Dave do it well. You know, I play, say, I play against, you know, Ultraman at home. It was a game that we should win. We win that game. I do okay. And then the following week, Bob's back in and I'm spewing. And I'm like, "Ah, what's going on? And he goes, trust me, it'll be all right. You know, you've come in, you've done okay crowd of seen you do all right. We've taken you out. You'll get another crack at it. And he built me up that first year. And then the following year I, I was starting and uh, and everything was, you know, rosy and good. Um, some of the results didn't go our way. They didn't have the best time with the, the, the club there. And the club let Dave go. And and we got in a guy called Graham Carr, who had been manager of Northampton and Kettering. And, uh, and he came in and... Anybody that wasn't on a contract, he cleared out. So there was five boys still left. I think it was like sort of Jason Broom, and um, we had uh, Broomy, David Green. Um, we had all sort of like these these sort of guys, Gary Stebbins. We had some top guys. Paul, all these boys around us who stayed, and we had a north, like half team that lived up north and a half team that lived down here. And then we just used to see the boys as we picked them up on the way through to some of the journeys. Never to say we got relegated that year from the from the conference into yeah. the Ryman Premier League. <clears throat> and, and then um, and then he got sacked. And then we signed uh, the 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 legend Ted Hardy took over. And uh, Ted came in, who had been previously with Dagenham. And uh, wow, that was like people in some. Some top boys, you know. We had some good players in there, uh, uh, like proper non-league players. You know, we had a little guy called Tolo Mas, was a fullback. He's known as the funniest man in football. Um, <laughs> we had, we had, uh, we we with with all these sort of guys. We got Paul Cobb. We got Lee Matthews. Um, you know, we we had some Timmy Cole. We had some really, really, I'd say, top top players at that level, um, and had a fantastic year. Yeah. um I got that it was a year it got me into got me into the England c team so I was playing in that one we had a a good a good run in the league um and then and then that finished off that season that was ninety seven probably and I think it was it was finishes off with the FA trophy final at Wembley against Woking so that was a, you know a real highlight as well
0: and you got to meet Pele that day is that right?
1: That's right, yeah. Pelé and Gordon Banks were there giving out the uh, English box. Yeah, sorry, packs for sorry, the sorry season.
0: more importantly, you got to meet Gordon Banks that day. Gordon
1: Banks, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was brilliant. I had a really great time. So that was all presented before the game, and it, oh, it was fabulous. Yeah, can you, can real, you, real, Can good you tell time.
0: us uh, about your goalie shirt from that day as well? <laughs> oh,
1: that was, yeah, was Kid. I think ENS was the kit, if I remember rightly, yep. and they were the days when you, your goalie shirt was like someone had thrown up on it and uh, <laughs> and, and, you, you, and you only got away with wearing black shorts, black socks. Yeah. That's it. None of these pink and all the same colour stuff. Um, black shorts, black socks and a horrendous top. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty much – and it was also, Glenn, you know those ones, one-size-fits-all. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you stick it on and the older classic elbow pads are down by your wrists and – all of that sort of bits and bobs. So yeah, brilliant it was. Have you still got it? Um, no, it's, it was in the club shop at Dagenham. One of the one of the supporters I gave it to, and it went up. In, it went to the club shop at Dagnam. I've still got a playing shirt framed on the wall at home. Yeah, um, from the from the final. Um, but yeah, that, not the actual shirt. I've got a few from that season, but not that one.
0: I wonder where it is. Um, yeah. Right. Well that's some good some good stories there it's it's interesting as well because you know you you in some of them names and i mm-hmm. i remember a lot of them names because that's when i was trying to start my playing career at canvey island um mm-hmm. and i just obviously cobby was at at canvey um uh, yeah Junior McDougall. So these are obviously two lads yeah. that was at Dagnam as well. But that's just opened up sort of memories because you, you hear their names. You think, oh, I haven't heard their names for years. Uh, mm. That's interesting. Um, all right. So from Dagnam. So you had two spells at Dagenham. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. 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 So that year when after the trophy final,
1: um, there was lots of talk about because I'd had a good had a good year and things had gone well, there was talk about going to this club, going to that club. I went up to, I did the worst thing in the world. Probably I got I got what you know an agent involved, and uh, um, my thoughts on agents, you know, if at the highest end, probably right, but a lot of it comes they can work against you sometimes. For me, and uh, and this one wasn't great. I went to. Um, uh, there was a lot of talk about going to West Ham and signing for there because they were looking for a keeper as well. But um, funnily enough, Les Seeley was, uh, he came and watched one of the games. And um, from what I heard through sort of different people, you know, he was, he was still the sort of number two, three and goalie coach doing stuff there. Um, so he, he wasn't keen on me. Um, so that was fine. And then I went up to Coventry with Gordon Strachan and, um, and had um, three weeks up there in pre season, um, which was really, really quite in, you know, quite interesting. I was staying at the Sky Blue Lodge and just just trained, played, did everything through from there. Um, and they came back and said, look, we'll keep an eye on you. Um, uh, but apparently, I, I, I'd heard through this agent, and I don't know whether, I don't believe it was true that the club were wanting X amount of money for me, but they weren't willing to pay that. So that got my back up. So I said, "Right, that's it. I want to leave. I want to go to some. I want to move on to the next step now. I'm ready to go." You know, I was 22, 23. And I was ready. Yeah. Um, so I sort of started looking around. I had an ch- opportunity to go to uh, to Brentford with Mickey Adams, but the, the contract was only for three months. It was sort of till the end of the season, and uh, we'll talk about it probably in a bit. But what what because it was semi prior, I was working. And I didn't want to go and leave my job for three months and then i get nothing at the end of it and then i have got to start from scratch again. Yeah. Um, but again, football's all about decisions. Mickey, Mickey went on from Brentford to do really well at Brighton. Um, and, um, and I ended up going in... I used to, when, I went, when I signed for Hayes, I went down to Brighton for the pre-season. Hayes were allowed, allowed me to go down there. So I just had six weeks down at Brighton for pre-season. Um, and just trained with, uh, I think the keeper they just signed there was that Michael Capers or Kuypers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I had a a time down (laughs) there, signed for Hayes under Terry Brown and Willie Wordsworth were the two coaches. Um, Again, no goalie coach, Um, just sort of, you know, going in and doing my own stuff. The issue was the, the, you know, money was fantastic. Playing in the conference, you know, was was going to be fantastic as well. Um, I didn't take into account probably the travel. You know, I was yeah. leaving my leaving the school job like at three o'clock, three thirty, travelling to get up to there for five thirty, and then training, then travelling back, then repeating and doing all again. Um, and uh, it was a, it wasn't the best time. You know, it wasn't mm. the best time. Dagenham. Then the following season, I was at Hayes. We struggled that year, um, and then Dagenham got promoted into the conference with Gary Hill in his first year. Um, and then the following season, my second year at Hayes, um, we had uh, we'd like sort of there was some family bits going on which weren't making it easy. Um, so the, the be fair, the Gaffer was not letting me train. So he said, "Just come up for games. Don't worry about it. Do what you got to do." Um, and then I. Uh, and then away at Doncaster, about three weeks before the end of the season, I broke my leg, um, and uh, and then that was it. Um, I sort of had a phone call from Gary Hill while I was still staying at Jason Broom's with my leg in plaster, and he said uh, we would want you back. So it was a no-brainer. I just wanted to get happy and enjoy it. So yeah. I signed. I signed back there with Gary, and we had like Matty Jones, who we used to be at Haybridge with him, was was. Um, was there, who was a, a family friend, Jason Broom, who was my best man at my wedding, everything was there, Lee Matthews, we had uh, Mark Janney, Paul Terry, um, you know, um, Buddy uh, Kino, big centre-half was in there, Junior McDougal, you know, the, like, all the Cobby, Mathers, all the boys that we know, and we're still actually in a group chat together now, yeah. you know, on WhatsApp. So um, there's still a little bit of banter. We had the physio, <laughs> do you know Richard Harper? Dickie used to be a... Yeah. Um, thingy, yeah, it looks looks like a, uh, a rugby player.
0: Yeah,
1: but um, top physio, sausage fingers, we call him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sausage fingers. Oh, and Ashley Vickers would have been one that would have been around with with. We would probably know from there, from Haybridge and jumps with the Meerkat. That's uh, he was he was all around and Lee Goodwin as well. Yeah, so there was some real top top lads around there. So it was fantastic. It was like going home to family.
0: Yeah. That was quite a successful time as well. Cause didn't you guys have a, a very good FA cup run as well? Yeah, we did. Yeah. That, that, that first
1: year being back, Tony Roberts was obviously there. And, uh, and we'll talk about him in a bit But Mick Payne as well. So, um, Gary Hill, Terry Harris, all those guys, the chairman, all the boys that we knew were there. And, um, we we were um really really lucky in the fact that we had um a real a real good cup run the we, we, was a, we had um Plymouth we had uh, Ipswich then there was Norwich we had some really really good cup runs in there and uh and then we had the and then that's sort of the first year we were really pushing hard um to try and get up and we, we basically we, we we had that it was the first year that they bought in the like the conference playoff final, yeah. and and we we beat Morecambe over two legs in the semi final, and then we went to um, we played up at the Britannia Stadium at Stoke, um, we played Doncaster in the playoff final, and and that was yeah we had the likes then of Mark Steen, um, yeah there was who was an absolutely wealthy of a striker as well, but. You you, you had these sort of players that had been there and done it. We, and the, it was the first year that they did a golden goal for the playoff final. So um, we were into extra time and Doncaster got a ball in, crossed it in, scored. That was it. Game over. Not a chance to return from anything. So we lost out the first year back by golden goal to Doncaster for going up. Um, and then the second season was the all of the shit we had with um, Steve Evans and Boston.
0: Oh yeah, um, yeah. they they
1: um, they 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 went up on goal difference, and we stayed in the conference because it was only just uh, it was just one up then at that point. Um, I might have been the other way round. Might have been the other way around. Might have been Boston first, and then then them. I'm, I'm getting old now, Glenn. I can't remember, <laughs> but, but you know, and then and then Steve Evans. And the club get Boston get docked a number of points for the start of the next year, um, so we felt very hard hard done by there. Mm. Um, that's and that's when Hilly decided, and I think it was the right choice to actually take the club onto the next step, which was right. If they want to do something, they've got to now go look to go more and more full time. Yeah, you know, although training in the evenings, he wanted to start doing stuff during the day, and a lot of us, you know. Um, was, yeah, I had jobs,
0: so, so just hef- just um, talking about that because you mentioned it earlier. So your your full time job was actually as a school teacher, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: yeah. I started. Um, I started um, as um, basically when I when I came back after Colchester, I needed to get a job, and I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I had zero qualifications really, again. and at the time, it was a big thing around. Um, where schools would employ what they'd called instructors. So you wouldn't get paid like a, a qualified teacher. You'd get paid as an instructor, but they did. You know they, they can put you in to do cover classes or whatever it may be. So I started doing that at Greenswood, which was the school cool. I went to because I knew the PE teachers there. So I started doing a bit of PE cover. And then um, that went okay, and I did a, a, a term there, and then I went to – um, furtherwick Park on Cambrie, and did um, a, a year and a bit there. That led me to make contacts with the guys at King Edmund, and then um, King Edmund um, Craig Simpson was the head of PE then, and he he took me he took me in to uh, become to do a maternity cover for one of the one of his department ladies that was off. So I did a, a sort of a six month contract with them just as an instructor just taking the PE lessons the football the netball the basketball all that sort of stuff and like anything if you do well at it people like that and uh and then I was fortunate enough then believe it or not I, mean, I still laugh about it and everyone gives me stick about it so I actually moved into becoming a maths teacher there right. um and if any of the kids listen to it now they'll be going what you didn't know anything <laughs> now no, I had a, as long as I had an answer book and I could do the stuff. You know, maths was easy because it was a right and wrong answer. So, so I, I then did all right. I started off, um, yeah, in, in maths, and I was become a head of year, and then I become assistant head of sixth form when my year group went through. Um, and and that was yeah, that was that was a fantastic time as well because I was doing doing something you love every day, getting up, and uh, it was hard work because you're doing that until three o'clock then you're leaving to go to football yeah um and then you're coming back from there but you know on the flip side of it you know i'd rather be busy than bored you know
0: so i actually um um, i think we said it before we started recording and it just popped back into my mind i remember um playing a game for my my school appleton and we played king edmund at king edmund and i remember seeing you there and i knew that you was you know, playing at a high, high level. So I was a little bit like, "Oh, I better play well today because you know I want to impress." And it just—it's it's amazing how life turns yeah. out. And now we're having this conversation.
1: That's right. Yeah. And then, and then obviously we get together like through the gloves and stuff. Yeah. You see, so um, and 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 how we go through it, and then looking at you know where our sort of, you know our relationship then develops even further there because. That goes through to your days with um, with Gillingham, yeah. and then yeah, Dagenham, and yeah. then uh, and the stuff in India, you know. So we sort of, you know, sort of all the same sort of contacts and people all the way through those ones, which have yeah. Been, uh, yeah, which is great. And it was a it was a difficult, you know, that 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 decision at the end of the season was hard because we'd had a really good year at Dagenham, and uh, and 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 Hilly was right in what he did, so. There was a lot of the, I'd say the old school boys like myself were moving on. Um, so, Thurrock or Purfleet as, as it was, I signed for Purfleet and then they, over that summer they became Thurrock. Mm. Um, and I loved, I loved playing there, loved the little ground down there and uh, the hotel. Um, Tommy South was the, the chairman and Colin McBride and Jimmy McFarlane were the coaches. John O'Brien was the goalie coach to start with um uh fingers and then um and then i had um uh, billy old boy billy came in and uh, and billy was he would have been then probably he'd tell me he was 65 but i reckon he would probably be 75 um but and he, he had all sorts going on we were jumping over chairs and diving through underneath table all sorts of things as a go night like it was real yeah, real good time. And he was fantastic. And and he still supports and follows me around still, still now. So he's probably got to be about 120, I reckon. <laughs> um, so, I mean, he's, yeah, so I had a, it. that was myself, Jason Broom. I think Mark Janney was there. Steve Heffer signed there with us. Um, Lee Goodwin had a stint there. Coley had a time there. Um, it was, a, you know, we'd all sort of signed at home. So that year was good. We played mm-hmm. Luton in the FA Cup, took them to... Uh, Round one, which was a home and away, we got we got a, a replay at their place, uh, Kenilworth Road, which was great. Um, and then actually did sort of really well. I started off the the next season of my contract, my second year there, um, and it just didn't feel the same. A couple of the boys had left, and I um, wasn't getting on amazingly well with Colin. It was it was just a bit weird. Um, so my mate, I'd obviously Matty Jones, was who worked at the same school at King Edmund with me. Um, he was an assistant at Billericke, Justin Edinburgh, rest his soul was a, a Billericke as the head coach. And they were just signing all these sort of 18, 19 year old YTS boys that had been released by West Ham, Tottenham's all these clubs and doing it full time. And he wanted an experienced keeper. So, um, I signed there for a, a season and, um, had a year at the lodge doing uh, doing my stuff doing my stuff there, which was again really really good. Thoroughly enjoyed it, but I just kept getting injured, and uh, and then that's sort of where it led round to me going to looking at New Zealand. And I had a young family: that my daughter was one, my son was four. So it was sort of my wife wanted to start something new, and she wanted to get back into nursing, so she was looking at that, and we were looking at anywhere and. New Zealand seemed a logical choice because it was, you know, it was English speaking, but it was the other side of the world. Mm. So, um, so we we did all. My wife did all the paperwork, bless her, and uh, and we 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 got the opportunity to move over here, and uh, and probably haven't looked back since then. To be honest, I'd love to come back, and I'd love to work in football over there, but. You know what it's like, It's uh, there's a lot of people that want to do that and it's quite tough to get a job. And then yeah. when you get a job over there, there's no real security because if the gaffer changes and he doesn't want you there, then you're out and then it starts again. So there was a little bit more security here for me. Um, so And that's sort of how it led on over here.
0: Yeah, which is, um, as I said, arguably uh, your most successful time in football. Yeah. Um yeah. So just um, finishing up on the English side of things, fantastic career, um, great experiences, played at some great clubs. Obviously, I spent some time, as you mentioned, at Dagenham Redbridge as well as goalie coach. So, Mm. you know, you're still seen by a lot of the supporters there as a legend, um, (laughs) which is, you know, I'm sure that must sort of fill you with quite a bit of, Bit of pride and, and fondness looking back on, on your time at Dagenham
1: yeah I still, I, that's the first team that I'd look out for for the results yeah. you know that's that's the one and there's a lot of talk you know at the moment and you, you were there at that time where they were saying oh we need to get the football's moved on so the days when like effectively when I was playing there you'd finish the game and you'd go to the bar at Dagenham and you'd walk into the bar and you'd have a drink with the with the supporters, and yeah, and they, they were not you know they were your mates in the end. Yeah. They'd scream and shout at you for ninety minutes out on the field, and call you all the names under the sun. You walk in there, and you'd have a drink with them. I had one one guy there. Um, uh, he was we always had a deal. I was on diamond white drinking diamond white at the time, and uh, so whoever if we won, I walk in the bar and he's got a diamond white waiting for me. <laughs> If we haven't, I have to buy him one. Yeah. So, you know, those kind of things through from there um, were 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 brilliant. Joe Sheehan was who's the Ipswich women's head coach at the moment, are doing really well there. Um, his mum and dad used to his dad used to drink there all the time, Bill, and his mum used to work behind the bar. We right. called her Christmas because her name was Carol. So <laughs> you know, so she was she'd be behind the bar and Joe was only a little fella then. So I still follow Joe now, you know, and he's gone on to do, fa- you know, fantastic things. He's coaching and taking the women's at Ipswich and doing really well. Um, so it's great to see these ones and still stay in contact with a lot of those. Yeah. Whereas now football, and I, you see it from this side of it, and you know what it's like there now, those sort of ones are gone. You don't go into the bar after the game and have seven diamond whites or seven pints of lager before you go home with the supporters. You, you, do, your, you do your recovery, your recovery. You eat your food. You go home. You rest. You sleep. The next day, you do your your, your sort of um, recovery sessions again with the physios and the S and C, and then you're back into it. Those so football has changed, um, and some say for the better, some say for the worse. But and then I listen to some of the supporters, and you see some yeah. of the write ups, and the, you know, it's not like it used to be. It's good, yeah. but but it has changed. You yeah, know that's the that's the sort of difference from it all.
0: I think probably the difference as well is that, you know, people like us are, are probably more like the average punter and can probably I would say relate to supporters a little bit more. I mean I know myself, you know, my sort of passion for South and United as well. And I, I see both sides of it and um it's definitely the game has moved on. Um but as you said, sometimes it's for the better, sometimes it's probably not. And I think it does. I think is actually quite a unique club, though, because I still think that there is quite a, a strong bond between the players and the, the supporters, and the supporters and the players, because you're so uh-huh. you're so close to them at the stadium, and you know you can hear every word they say, and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And as yeah. we know, Dagenham supporters are a very passionate bunch. They were brilliant yeah. in the three and a bit years that I was there, and, and no doubt yeah. over the years that you was there as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, they were. I said it was a it was a real sort of family for me, and uh, and they and again for all the stuff that they've done for me over the last whatever I was there ten years in the end overall at the most, and uh, yeah, it was a, a great time, you know. So I, it was yeah. All, all supporters are um, all supporters are special in the factory to their clubs because they are so loyal. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and and again, all of the. Was well, said most of these these ones here? Most of them are volunteers and doing stuff through from there because they love it, and uh, and that's and that's what you need. And it's exactly the same over in New Zealand as well. You know, just um, just the people that love it, that love the clubs and love the support and and so want to be part of it. And that's and that's probably fortunate where I am now that because New Zealand's not a massive place, um, a lot of people know everybody, yeah. um, so. It, you know, it does make it a little bit more personal.
0: Yeah, well, I think I think um, during COVID that sort of highlighted how important football clubs are to to people, um, mm. and and what a massive sort of role they play in their lives. Um, yeah. So, just a couple of things that I just wanted to touch on just before we move on to your sort of New Zealand adventure. Um, mm. So, obviously, when you was at Dagenham, Tony Roberts was there, um, yeah. and obviously a mutual friend of ours, Mick Payne, so yep. I just want to touch on those two um, and just yeah. see sort of what influence they had on, on you as a goalkeeper at that time. Yeah,
1: yeah. so Robbo was Robbo was there when I, he was the one, he was the, the number one keeper when I signed back. Um, he got, he was suspended, I think, for my first time back. So I played the first couple of games of that conference season. Then Robbo comes back in, um, but Robbo, again, again he'd carried on been there for 10 years after me and gotten back into the league and did everything with it. All Robbo yeah I you know he can't talk highly about him. Um another another goalkeeper that he's an absolute fruitcake um <laughs> you know uh and he, again who's gone on to do fantastic stuff as well um with his own career um, and and now you know he's with the I've had lots of conversations still with Robbo because he was um Obviously, it's with the Wales national team. Um, and then me being over here with the team over here, we were, we were pushing hard to try and get friendlies together before uh, one of the tournaments that we went to. Um, and uh, so we'd, we'd love to have had that game against each other where we could be on the opposite sides of the bench and everything through from that one. But Robbo's training, um, what he offered in experience and bravery and understand everything you wanted a keeper, he had that. could make the big saves could um, lead the side, slow it down, quicken it up. Yeah, he was, he was a proper character and again, a top fella. So good, great on a night out as well. So, um, it was good to be around. I've been very fortunate with his goalkeepers that I've been with and I don't think I've found many goalkeepers probably same with you, Glenn, that you don't, <laughs> you don't get on with and you don't, you know, there's, there's, we're a different brunch where you're training together on your own all the time and so you're, like, though you don't want him not to do well but you want to play it's a really really sort of uh you got to be mentally strong in our sort of area um and that was helped by bringing in Mick Payne so Payne came in um and uh, just led myself and Robbo in the sessions um he was uh, a, a great a great friend he was at my yeah you know, again at my wedding and he was still uh, – he's still someone now that we still have messages with over WhatsApp and everything through. So, Mickey was fantastic for us. And, I, and I, to be fair, I took his took his line because he does his old one to get you out. So, when you're finishing your little set and whatever it may be, it was always one to get you out. So, that's what he was known as. Um, and, uh, and I use that now over here with my keepers. All right. Yeah, there we go. One to get you out. Let's go. And, uh, yeah, he was – again his experience and his background in goalkeeping and he was probably if we're, you know I'm talking honestly was the first goalie coach that was dedicated to us yeah and um, and just to take us off and to work us and yet there's all this different idea of what a goalkeeper does and there's probably eighty eighty five percent of the game now goalkeepers are using their feet and it's all distribution but there's always that element and the desire to keep the ball out of the net, which is always led on all the time. Absolutely. Because, you know, first job of a goalkeeper, stop it going in. Doesn't matter what you do, just stop it going in. Then we look at technique and whatever needs to be happening after that. But it's the desire to stop it going in, which makes the difference between those top keepers and then the other ones. And then obviously with the trainings and the, the, the replication of what you need to do in a game, and Mick was really, really good with that. So, I uh, oh yeah, I owe Mick a lot because I learned a lot from my goalie coaching from him, yeah, um, and stuff from there, but also him as a person. And he's oh, a he's good a great person. guy,
0: yeah, yeah. Mm. brilliant guy, you know, it, it'd be at Dagenham game summarizing and. You know, after he'd come and speak to me and have a chat about right. L and blah blah blah, just giving his views and opinions and advice, and yeah, fantastic, su- fantastic yeah. person to to tap into. You know, for his experience.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's and that's what I'm still using for now. He called. Well, he, I've got him, he's in my phone as uh, the GK mentor, <laughs> so he's still someone that you'd still speak to yeah. if you weren't short sure. I mean, You know, so I've always got those people. And I need that as a coach, you know, growing as a coach as well. You still need to improve and then you guarantee you if I haven't been through a situation before, he has. So it's always a good one to bounce things off of.
0: Yeah. That's brilliant. Okay, well, um, so let's just finish – well, I say finish. Let's move on to your New Zealand adventure. So um, a really interesting time. Um, Mm. And I think this was – so the listeners will obviously see and know that you know with my links to the glove brand Pro GK, um, mm. and I'm going to talk about not every single podcast I'm going to speak or mention ProGK, although <laughs> oh, I probably you I probably to. will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's obviously where our sort of um, paths then crossed again. Early on, uh, in in your sort of time at Auckland City, but j- just before that was when you first arrived in New Zealand. You was did you pl- you played for a, a, a different team, didn't you?
1: Yeah, well, when I came out, I when I came here,
0: it was just purely like
1: you said earlier on. The the kids were young, so we moved to a I'd say it's a rural, rural town, and it was about forty five minutes out of Auckland, a little place called Walkworth. and um, and I I was a stay at home dad. For the first year, I stayed at home, looked after the kids. My wife worked, and uh, and she still works now. Works her socks off, um, too much probably, but the kids were young, so I was dropping off kindies, going to coffee mornings, um, dropping the son at school, all of that kind of stuff. And it and and football's funny because I, I in my head I'd finished. That was it. I'd done. Uh, I'd done everything. And you know I was happy with where I was at. What will I do now? Um, But you know what it's like, even if you try and do that, you've got that inner inner sort of passion and it pulls you back in. Walkworth Football Club was um, a very small club. So um, I wasn't – my son was playing in one of the smaller grade teams. And uh, it was like it wasn't being being run as I thought it should be. Um, So I went along to the the AGM that they had when I was there just to do something in the evening. There were three people sitting there. That was the board. Um, and then the next thing I knew, I came out and I was the chairman of the club, and uh, and I and I and I and I started sort of that. I started putting my time into that. So I was going into the local schools and doing little sessions with the kids and trying to improve the numbers of the club. Um, and then um, we got an old an old All White that played in the uh, 1982 World Cup, Sam Malkinson. Um, and uh, and he 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 lived up that way. So I got, I spoke with him and he came in to be the head coach of the team. And it was just, uh, you know, I wouldn't even know where it fitted into the, it was probably below Essex senior league kind of right. stuff over there. And, uh, and I, and he said, look, I'll coach if you play. And you know, like it's a lot of the people then internet and stuff, wasn't like it was. So people are going, you know, the other boys at the club going, Oh, have you played in gold before? And I'm going, yeah, I've done it a couple of times. I'm all right. And, uh, and I played the first game and, like, kick in and doing something like, whoa, he has played before. Um, and and that was just by chance. So, that was, so I did a year of that. And then we started the following season. And um, they've got a thing over in New Zealand here called the Chatham Cup, which is, the if we put it into equivalent, it's like the FA Cup in England. And uh, it's regionalised, and then it goes national, and then they have the big final. So... This Walkworth team we were playing, in, we got through to the third round of this Chatham Cup, which is the first time they've ever done it. And uh, we've got some really good, you know, good mates in that team from Walkworth that we knew. And and that, and we played, and we played. We got drawn against a team called Central United. And over here in Auckland, Central United were one of the biggest sides. Their sister club is Auckland City. So during the winter, it's um, the Winter League. They're Central United. And then it goes to the Summer League, which is a franchise national league. And that became Auckland City. We played central away. And, uh, and they, had a, they had a lot of their Auckland City players playing. We lost the game, but I had a good game. Um, and then I got a um, talked by the chairman after the game at Auckland, Ivan. And he said, uh, could I have a quick word? And he said, look, we're looking, looking for a goalkeeper for next season. So, um, we'd like you to come in. We want someone with experience. Would you be able to come in? Um, So, I had a chat with uh, my wife, Laura, and said, look, I've got this opportunity. She went, well, give it a go and let's see what it's like. And and that's then really how everything started over here. I signed at Auckland City. um, um, And then uh, that that December, we went to the UAE and we had a Club World Cup, FIFA Club World Cup. They'd won the Oceania Champions League the year before. So... Um, I was fortunate enough then to play in 2000 and it would have been 2009, the Club World Cup in um, UAE, um, which was brilliant. We got through the first round and we finished the fifth best team we called ourselves in the world. Um, so I had a year of playing there at Auckland City, um, traveling around New Zealand playing. And then um, the following season, I moved to like a number two stroke goalie coach role. Um, and did that for a year. And the, the coaches there, Aaron McFarlane and Ramon, were the two coaches. Then Aaron left the club to go take a job with New Zealand football, and uh, Ramon, Ramon asked me to step up. So I became the assistant coach um, at Auckland with Ramon for another three seasons. Mm. So we had, we had um, you know, Oceania Champions League, so playing in the islands, coming back, playing in New Zealand and um and then another three club world cups um so just just yeah. going back a little
0: bit, coffee, so you know the game that you you had for your local town team, you know that you're yes. just sort of helping out um mm. just happen to you know get involved with start playing for you know it's amazing how the universe mm. works itself out, and you know <laughs> these opportunities present themselves. Because yeah. you've been drawn.
1: Very lucky. Yeah, Football's lucky. You know, it's it's a little bit of who you know and a little bit of the right place, right time.
0: Absolutely. I've, I've literally just written that down in my notes. Right place, right, right time. And, yeah. and then that, from being there, that's then led to all these other fantastic opportunities that have presented themselves. Um, mm. So I was just thinking as well, I've got one of your uh, match shirts hanging up in the spare room there. Um, and oh, yeah,
1: from the one of the club world cup ones, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll have to dig that out. I can't, I'll take a picture of it. I can't remember exactly, but it's a beautiful shirt. Um, and just <laughs> I wonder if you know the what normal I'm gonna, colour. yeah, it's a grey, it's lovely. But I wonder yeah. if you know what I'm gonna bring up next because, um, you had uh, obviously you was wearing the gloves by then, and we'd done a deal with Auckland City to, yes. uh, sponsor the goalkeeper supply the gloves. And then something happened, and and you sort of went viral for a bit. Um, so do you want to just tell us what happened there?
1: Well, I'm, I'm an old like I I I'm, I'm a person that if you you know you've got to do something you've got to do it, and, yeah. and if you've got to go you've got to go. And uh, and I I uh, yeah it was the game we were playing. The last game we were playing the um, the African Champions um, TP Mezimbe I think it was and. uh, it was the last the last game, the, the, the sort of fifth, sixth playoff place well it was. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 best to say I'd been hydrating really well. And um, and it was hot over there, so I was hydrating a lot. And, you know, like when I'm getting old, I've got the bladder of a pee. So <laughs> I, I ended up, yeah, I, I ended up in the second half. I was like, shit, I'm in the middle of the game here. It's one one and I just got to have a piss. I've got to do something. I've got to have a wee. And I'm looking around and then one boy went injured in the far part in the far corner. So everyone was the physio was on everything was done. So I thought, well I can't run off the field, so I'll uh, just drop a knee. So I dropped a knee and had a bit of a wee. And uh <laughs> but when you're playing in FIFA tournaments, there are cameras everywhere. And uh, believe it or not, yeah, it got picked up so it then <laughs> It then led on to a, a little bit of a thing. By the time we flew out from the UAE and I touched down in Singapore, turned the phone on, I had a million messages there. What have you done? What's going on? We've got... And, uh, yeah, it was it was just one of those moments that you had to do it. But yeah. I did it thinking that no one would ever see because <clears throat> no one was looking at me down the other end of the field. But, unfortunately, it got picked up. So, yeah, I can state a claim to having a wee on the field in a Club World Cup. So, uh, yeah, not one of my best claims to fame, I don't think.
0: Well, I don't know because we certainly got a lot of publicity from it. Because as you're yeah. uh, as you're going, you've got a pristine white pair of Pro GKs on, so you see that big G logo big, there, and I was very the pleased. That guy
1: was going well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was a little bit chafed after because yeah. it was just running down my leg a little bit. <laughs>
0: I actually uh I actually watched it again earlier just to refresh my memory and uh just made me laugh. So it was uh that's a that was a great memory. Um yeah. so any publicity? it's good publicity, Glenn. Oh absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I get th- the gloves out there. I'm pretty I'm doing. pretty sure it got over a million views. And yeah. you know, we're probably talking it got linked
1: up with Yangs um, Jans Lehman had done one as well. That's right. Um he jumped over the boarding so behind the goal and doing yeah. so Um, actually I think in Germany there was an advert for, um, panty liners or something that had come out (laughs) and both clips were putting together into that one as well. So, um, yeah, so yeah, I'd like to have been known for, say, maybe my goalie saves or stuff like that. But, um, yeah, having a wee on the field with my gloves on, perfect.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I take that. Um, okay, so just moving on. So obviously Auckland City, you then, um, Transitioned into the role of goalkeeper, goalkeeper coach. Was that working with Jacob Spoonley?
1: Yeah, yeah. Spooners was the uh, Spooners and Tummer were yep. the two keepers that we had. Yeah, so had um, had those had those guys. And believe it or not, funny enough, now Jacob Spoonley now is my goalie coach at the club I'm at now. So
0: oh, is he? Um, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, so I've got Spooners involved, and he looks after my two keepers. Uh, what a guy, um, by the way. Yeah, top fella, top fella. Um, very, very intelligent. Um, very good roommate because he was very quiet, kept himself to himself, and uh, and he's yeah, like a lawyer, and does he, he does commentary on the the Phoenix Games and the New Zealand Games over here for Sky TV now. So um, he keeps himself still in the game and still keeping busy. Um, so I, I actually good,
0: um, I met um Jacob and um down in um I got an invite from Auckland City to go down there when they was That's were, right. I can't yeah. remember where it was. Was it Tunisia? Was that or Morocco? Morocco? It Morocco? Yeah it was, yeah. 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 And I went yeah. I went down there, and watched the game and was treated very well by the people at Auckland City. They couldn't have been more welcoming to be honest. Um Yeah. That's right. it, there was yes. a really
1: Yeah the gloves had been we'd had them all for that 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 first tournament I was in, and then you made all the special ones again for us with, because we couldn't have too many logos That's on them. That's right. Yeah. So we whitened out a lot of the Pro GK, but just kept the G. And uh, yeah, they were yeah, that was right. That was fantastic. I had mm. a
0: really uh, almost surreal slash bizarre moment when um, they went to the stadium the day before the game and was um, looking round, mm. and they just invited me and said. Be at the hotel for this time. I was staying at another hotel. and You can come to the yeah. stadium with us. So I'm sitting on the team bus with them, and I'm thinking all the players are probably thinking, "Who's that geezer over there?" But anyway, nonetheless, it was a fantastic experience. Now
1: they were probably going, S. Glenn Johnson,
0: <laughs> yeah, the other Glenn Johnson, not the uh, yeah, that's not the it. really yeah. famous yeah. one." Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you see, you see, when you um, was with Auckland City, you, you then transitioned into the New Zealand all white setup. How did that come about?
1: That was was a strange one because it got to a time where, as I said to you, the kids were young. So bear in mind, the kids were growing up. My wife was working. So it worked out. Auckland, we trained pretty much full-time, but we trained in the afternoons and early evening. So um, we were full-time, effectively, we were full-time footballers, but it was still seen as an amateur club, like an amateur status. So... Um, what we were doing, we were, I was, I was picking the kids up from school, meeting my wife on the trip down. She'd pick the kids up, take them home and I'd go down to training. And, and, and it was getting really, really tough. The kids were getting older. Um, my wife was working her socks off, as I said. So she was, so it became a point where I said, right, made a decision. I'm going to step away from it. And you know, when you leave something, it's not till you leave something that other things come up. Mm. And, um, and I, I stepped away from it, said that was my last year. It was really hard to leave the club um, because, again, that was another family club. So I left the club. And then that was probably maybe that we finished up. i that was September. And then Darren Baisley, who I knew from England before the old Wolves and Warsaw and um, Watford fullback, he's a, he was over here. And he was the coach with the under-17 New Zealand national team. He, he rang me and he said, look, Goff, I need a goalie coach. Would would you do this World Cup? And funnily enough, it was um, UAE again, 2013. It was an under-17 World Cup. He said, would you do this World Cup? It's just a month. Come with me. <coughs> do the World Cup. And then you're done. So again, there's me. Hi, Laura. Um, I've got an opportunity to do this World Cup. Do you think I should do it? And I, she went, what do you want to do? She's never stopped me doing anything. So she said, look. Yeah, go and do it, see what it's like, and I can tick it off. So I've done Club World Cup with Auckland, and then I went and did, I thought I'd do a World Cup. So I did the Under-17 World Cup in the UAE with the Under um, with the national side. And uh, I did that. That was fantastic. Came back from that. And, you know, again, a bit of luck, the next World Cup, the Under-20 World Cup in 2015, was being hosted in New Zealand. So there was a lot of funding and everything was going off in New Zealand about football. So I basically left that same group from the 2013, the 17s, we got back to New Zealand and we became, uh, effectively we were full time. The 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 players were, you know, 17, 18s, 19s, and they mostly were based in New Zealand. So we were, we got a team entered into that national league that I played with Auckland city with. So um, we, we then, that role became the under twenty goalie coach. So Neil Emblem was our the other um, was the assistant coach. And, do you know
0: uh, what? I met the boys uh, in Colorado? Oh, that's right. Yes,
1: you went yeah. down. Yes. Yes, that's right. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so they, they we had our we had our setup, so we just carried on with the under twenties. So then we did a under twenty World Cup in New Zealand, which was fantastic in twenty fifteen. Um, and you talked to Neil and Darren, and that was probably one of the best times in football. It was brilliant. Um, And then then while we were doing that, the All-Whites didn't qualify for the World Cup. They lost to Mexico in a two-legged playoff. Um, So Ricky Herbert was the manager then. He stepped away. So the club, uh, New Zealand football, sorry, did a, a big search. They appointed Anthony Hudson, who was the Bahrain head coach. He came into New Zealand football. Now, I knew Anthony We've got friends in common when he was at West Ham as yes. a, an apprentice, um, so I was doing the under twenties. So Anthony asked me if I'd come into the All Whites with him. So it was game, a little bit of luck, yes. right place, right time. I just moved into the All Whites with Anthony, and then that—that's how that sort of part came across. You know, um, well we were leading to a World Cup, so we had a cycle to do, um, and we had four years to prepare for this 2018 World Cup. So we we had World Cup qualifiers, we won the Nations Cup, which is the OFC tournament, which then took us to the confeds. So we went to the confeds in 2017 in Russia. Um, we did the confeds, we then qualified for the Intercontinental Playoff and we played Peru, home and away. So um, we drew nil-nil with Peru at home in Wellington in front of 38,000 full full house down there in Wellington. Went back to Peru to play in Lima, and we lost over there. Ended up being 2-0. Um, and and then that's where the sort of my time really with Anthony was taking the job at Colorado Rapids in the MLS. There was already a goal in coaching place there. So Darren went, Neil went, the analyst went all over to Colorado, and left me at New Zealand football. And I had um, a new coach came in with New Zealand football, a guy called Fritz um, from, uh, I think it was Swiss. And it it wasn't the same. I did one tour. We played in um, Spain against Canada. um, And I did one tour there. And it just didn't feel the same because it was different people. And I was the only one there from the old staff. So, again, I had made that decision then to say, right, that's it. I'm... uh, leaving New Zealand football, and, uh, and I stepped away there in 2018, um, and then the week after I stepped away, I had a call from Wellington Phoenix, who were the only professional club in New Zealand playing the A-League, um, and said, would I go in with them? And, uh, and that was another question. Laura, I've got this <laughs> opportunity to go to the A-League. It's down in Wellington. Should we move? What should we do? Da-da-da-da. So I, I, took, I took that role. And then we moved the family down to Wellington. So,
0: um, Do do you know what I find amazing? And, you know, I've been sort of in the same boat a little bit with the opportunities at various times that presented themselves to to me. Our partners and wives are so important in these decisions because obviously when we make these decisions, you know, you you think, oh, well, that would be fantastic for me. But you also have to think about your partner and your wife and your family and how it's going to affect them because, as we know, Football is a, quite a demanding job and it takes a lot of yes. time and there's a lot of sacrifices, not only from ourselves, but there's a lot of sacrifices, okay. um, you know, especially from, from Laura there, which when we talk about uh, Wellington Phoenix in a little bit more depth, you know, yeah. maybe you could share our, with the COVID stuff and being in Australia how that affected your family and yourself because you're so far away from each other.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was real like that. That the New Zealand football stuff was was great, and uh, and that was brilliant. You know, that led, it led it gave me the opportunity to do what I'm doing. You know, to, to get to where I was, and mm-hmm. you, you do it. And that that year, we were leading up to the like so from leading up start of 2017, going through to the uh, the Intercontinental Playoff. Like we were, I think I was out of the country because we had games every window and tournaments and things like that. So I was out of the country. I think it was 138 days or something out of the year wow. just going away with football. And you're right. It's the best job in the world, but you actually forget sometimes what Laura's doing at home with the kids yeah. and, and and you miss out a hell of a lot from there. So the, the role with Wellington, when that came up, um, Chris Greenacre um, was there, Jonathan Gould, um, who's actually now the Goldie coach at Wellington again. Goldie was leaving to go over to... Uh, he was leaving um, to go to West Bromwich Albion with Tony Pullis. And uh, he spoke to me originally about the role. Would I do it? And uh, it wasn't the right time. I was with New Zealand football. We were trying to qualify for the Olympics. We had the confeds coming up. We had a home World Cup. So I didn't do it then. So when it came up again, it was something I wanted to do. And, uh, and I took this... I took the role, I went, I went in with um, Chris Greenacre was there, who was his sister, who is an absolute diamond of a guy, um, and his wife and daughter obviously lived down there in Wellington, and they became really good friends with, my my, my, my wife and daughter moved down. And uh, we, and then Mark Rudan was the coach, who's now at Western Sydney Wanderers, um, and it was a, yeah, it was great to see the actual environment go from doing it to window to window to actually doing it every day. Um, so we we had a really you know the first year was brilliant. We moved like I, I you'd finish training, you do your work, prepare, you go home. I was with the family in the evening, no problem. The second year, Uffie um, came in um, with Chiefy, the two coaches in there that I worked with. I, They top friends, and I get on really well with those still now. Um, They came in. We had a um, Murphy's wife came over. um, We had there was a few more wives and girlfriends. So Laura was a lot more comfortable down in Wellington. And then and then March came and COVID hit. Um, We were stuck in Australia. We came back just before the country went into lockdown, um, and we thought that would be it for the season. But we had three months off. And then we had to move back to New Zealand to complete the season to, to meet the media rights. So we had to set ourselves back up in Australia. So we went back over to um, Sydney and we stayed there for four months to complete the season. Closed-door games, like everything else, it was you know, very, very strange and weird. So we finished the season off and then everyone was saying, like, you know, oh, it'll be normal next year. We'll be yeah. back to normal. And, uh, and it, unfortunately it wasn't. So we had a decision to make about going what I do, whether I sign a new contract and stay at Wellington or look to go somewhere else. And there wasn't really many other opportunities this side of the world. Um, and my daughter was at an age where she needed to finish school. So we took another, another two year contract with Wellington and, uh, and I, we, we had to go and base ourselves in, we were based in Wollongong, which is about an hour north, of, uh, south of Sydney. So, Um, I went over um, at the start of November and I was there for eight months. So it was very hard on Laura, Katie. They were both at home in Wellington. Didn't really know anybody because they'd moved down there from where we'd been for a number of years. Um, So we did eight months over there. The season was, I'd say, was successful. Came home. We got four months off and, uh, and then the decision sort of started coming up then, what are we going to do next year? And everybody was saying it will open up and it will be normal. But um, it wasn't. And um, I ended up basing myself. We went to last season, we were based in Chatswood, which is uh, right in Sydney. Um, so I went over there again for another eight months. Um, because I was going back, we'd had the conversation with Laura and uh, we decided that Wellington wasn't for her. So we sold up in Wellington, bought back up in uh, where I am now in Browns Bay, just north of Auckland. And the family moved back up here um, in December. As I left in November to go over there, they moved back up in December. So my son's moved back home now. Um, My daughter's at university in Auckland. My wife's Laura's happy. Um, And I was based over in Australia still. So, Laura was happy, which made my life a lot easier, um, and she was fortunate enough to support me. So I did another eight months over there for last season. The season went okay. We got into the playoffs, which was a target, and we lost to uh, uh, Melbourne City, who uh, went on in the end to make the final of that, but we lost to them in the uh, in the playoff final. So that, that led to the end of the season coming round, which is now sort of pretty much takes us to where we are you know I was I had a year to run on my contract but speaking to <laughs> Uffy and the club they were they were understanding of the family situation I was the only staff member that had no family with him while we were away and uh they they understood the situation for me to spend some time with the family so um that's that's sort of how I got back to today sitting in this office now Northern Rovers um and uh, becoming you know the the of the Let's say the head of men's football, but I'm the head of the uh, the head coach for the first team, and and uh, oversee the the other part of the club here. So, um, you know, um, it's it's nice, it's different, it's a lot lot more full on than what I had been doing, but it means I go home every night, you know,
0: yeah, and that's important. Um, right. Mm. So, just what's on my mind before we dive into Northern Rovers, mm. one question i wanted to ask so um from a coaching point of view when you're with the all whites obviously that's window to window then when you take the job at wellington phoenix that's on a daily basis now i I remember speaking with peter taylor about the differences between sort of international management slash coaching and club you know how did you find that um, and what, what would you say the main differences are between an international coach where you're seeing the players every three months or whatever it might be to then uh-huh. working with the goalkeepers every single day?
1: Yeah, so the, 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 probably the, the biggest difference for me was that when we were we going to camp, what we're doing, we're selecting the best three goalkeepers when we're with the All-Whites and actually, luckily for me, I signed all those at Wellington as well. So I had the relationship with um, with Steph and Ollie, um, Alex, Philip, all these people I've had, worked with. i had the relationships over a number of years with them. You know, Max Crocombe that's doing well at Grimsby at the moment. Um, Nick Zaniff that's playing at AFC Wimbledon. You know, um, Matty Gould that's at Altingham. You know, um, there's there's a there's a lot of keepers that I still keep in contact with from that sort of database of New Zealand keepers. Um, but you pick the best three. So they come in, and the sessions there were really for me. You just you're just making sure that they're sharp and ready for the games. They're in season. They're training every day at their clubs. So when they come in with me, it was literally a basic a 20 minute warm up. You know, you you can go through what their strikers do. You can go through. Um, their penalties, that kind of stuff. But most of the time, it was just 20 minutes in. You come, a little bit of a warm up, and then we're in with the team. So you didn't have a massive impact to affect their goalkeeping to make them better. Um, but at Wellington, going in and doing it every day, you actually, it's a project. So you start at the first day of pre season and you've got to get them up to speed for the first game of the season. And so you could actually then really have an impact on what they're doing in games and how you get, you know, how you get judged. And as a goalie coach, you get judged on your goalies. If the goalies are good and they're making saves and they're winning your games and um, they're doing, they're they're doing well, then it looks good on you. If they're not doing well, their questions then get asked in a full-time environment. Well, what's wrong with the goalie coach? Why aren't they doing this? Mm. So, um, and I was fortunate that the goalkeepers that I've had at Wellington have been successful in those um, four years that I was there. And, and also the same with your wife. The goalkeepers were key members of the team. And, uh, and that, that built the respect and the, the relationships between the head coaches mm. um, to a degree where Oofy just, you know, the last couple of years goes, right, who's the goalies that we want? Okay, who's going to play? Um, you deal with them. I don't want to, you just, you know, I don't, I trust what you're doing, you get on with it. So that was great to have that trust with a head coach that just allows you just to do your stuff and he trusts you to do the right thing. So, um, yeah, it was a real, yeah, you can start working with these younger ones in the academies like you've been doing there to work on their technique or how they want to go but ultimately you get judged if the keeper's making saves or not and doing well. Yeah. Um, so it's, a, yeah, it was a, it was a real you build better relationships with them because you're seeing them every single day.
0: See that's um, that's a word that I've again I've just yeah. written down in my notes. The 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 day in day out obviously you know when you're with the the All Whites the goalkeepers they're essentially they're not yours so you right. know I I guess you've got to be in, in contact with their goalkeeping coaches yeah discussing what potentially you'll be doing with them etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. but then when you've got your own goalkeepers, the relationship that you build with them is so key. And, and I've always found throughout my coaching career, the successful um, or the bits of success, you know, I've had in developing goalkeepers, I've always tended to get on really well with those goalkeepers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You do. You get to a point where, so for example, Stefan Marinovic, who's now playing in the top club in Israel, and uh, and Steph, Steph was when when I came into New Zealand, Anthony said to me like we didn't have any players, you know it was like he doesn't there wasn't a player database made up or anything from that. So Anthony, his job with the coaches, the, the assistant coach, was to find outfield players. My job, he said, go find the best goalkeepers that we can find that are New Zealand, you know New Zealand's you know passport holders. Let's see what we can find. So the first thing was going back through the the age group goalkeepers, seeing where they're at, seeing what's going on. So it was a load, a load of work with that. But talking to Steph, Steph was playing in a third division team in Germany. So Steph, Steph was sort of came about and I knew through the, the, the age group stuff. So we had Ollie, we had Nick Zaniff, um, Max Crokem, all of these ones that I've got involved with it all that have been playing overseas. So we'd, We've got these guys together. So I had this list, so we were sorted out. So Steph, I got Steph in. We had a few old senior keepers, Glenn Moss, um, Tama, Spooners, all the ones that you talk about that were involved previously. So we had to, we saw everybody. And then uh, my second tour with Anthony, we were away in Korea. So we took Steph and we took Max for that one. Steph played the game, saved the penalty, was fantastic. Okay, Um, so then from then, Steph actually was in every single game. So he played, he's he's actually got a record, the most consecutive all-white games for any player ever. He's got 28. So 28 internationals that we had in two years or whatever it was with the tournaments. Steph was number one and played in every game. So the relationship you have with Steph, you know, to the point where he's ringing me from Germany um, at the end of one season after one tour, because he's got a chance to move to Vancouver in uh, the MLS. Yeah. So he's sort of saying, what do you think? What would go on? We'll do it. This is a great opportunity. So he then moved to Vancouver, had a successful career over there, um, and then he went to – from there he went over back to England. He did a little bit at Bristol City. Um, didn't go quite how he wanted. So then when I got the, the, the Wellington job – came up. The first year I had a goal—a goalie, I signed him from Poland, Filip Kurto. He became goalie of the year. Um And then the following season, Oli was the goalkeeper there. But Oli Sal wasn't, for me, in my opinion, wasn't quite ready. Again, a bit like me, what we just spoke about. I He thinks he was ready, but I didn't think he was. So it was hard on him. But I signed Steph. And Steph came in and was fantastic that first year. Um And then moving overseas and being based away was difficult um, for family reasons and whatever. So um, that's where Steph then moved on from that after Ollie came in and Ollie's really kicked on and done so well now playing for the All Whites and doing everything. So I think we've been, you know, those goalkeepers that you talk about, you, you get to know them, you know, their families, you know, their, you know, the wives, the kids, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and and they're the kind of relationships you need to. I think you need to have because the goalies need to trust you as a goalie coach. That you, yeah, they know you're the coach and you'll make the decisions that's best for the team. But as long as you're honest with them and they know what's going on, then they can't argue or can't say anything back to you. And and I think that's what I gave. I was honest every single moment of every every game and every time. And uh, and I think that's probably part of the success
0: you know how the success I hope mm. yeah it's it's interesting to mm. to, to hear you, you say that because I sort of echo a lot of that I think the the respect obviously is a two-way thing as well you know mm. and uh, that trust is definitely two-way that you know you yeah. trust them as much as they they trust you um, yeah all right so just moving on to where you're at now can you tell mm. us a little bit about your role and and how that's going yeah
1: yeah, so I got the opportunity. The club were very good here because I was based obviously away with with uh, the Phoenix, and they gave they offered me this the, the role here as head of men's football. They wanted somebody to come in. The club's a big club. It's uh, amalgamation between Glenfield Rovers and Forest Hill, so there's two teams that are amalgamated in 2020. So my um, my job basically is this: is is to oversee the men's side and the junior side of the football, and uh, and the the club itself. It's got a fantastic setup with uh it's you know it's little sort of boutique stadium the 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 club the number of the uh, yeah we've got thirteen hundred players here you know it's a it's a it's a big right. club in Auckland and uh, and what we need to do is get them to the to the top the top try and become the top club in Auckland and what they what they've allowed me to do here is basically what I'm trying to do is just put in become the most professional amateur club we can, if you know what I mean. So yeah. everything we're doing now, I'm doing as if I was at the Phoenix, um, with analysing the opposition, reviews of games, preparation, um, the the talent pathway that we've got here. Um, everything that we're doing is trying to make it as professional as we can get it. So we give the players here a chance to hopefully kick on and play for the Phoenix or play overseas. Um, so it's... Yeah, it's a full-on job. So with regards to where I used to go to the office for 8 o'clock, you'd go and train at 11, you'd finish, you prep, you go to the gym, you go home, um, where now it's I'm in here at 8 o'clock in the morning and then by the time the session's finished, because it's all in the evenings, it's sort of half past 8, 9 o'clock when you're getting home. So they're long days, but I'm 10 minutes from home now, you know. So um, and I'm taking the, the senior team is um, really good, being the head coach and uh, and actually leading the side, which is why I took this role, which give me another another experience. You know, mm-hmm. leading, um, being a uh, you know being a head coach instead of a goalie coach. So I'm just going through my last part of my A license at the moment, as the outfield one. Um, so that's been you know that's been sort of really good. I still you mentioned him earlier, Peter Taylor. I still have contact with him. Um, he, was, he was someone that I knew from the UK, but then came into the All Whites with us um, as assistant coach with Anthony for a couple of tours. And, and when I speak to him and I ask him questions about the coaching, he goes, just keep it simple. Yep. Players <laughs> like it simple. Don't overcomplicate things. And, uh, and, that's, and that's pretty much my, what I've been going through here. So we're looking at this club. We're looking at, first thing, good people. And then, um, and then you know, if they're good players as well, well, it's even better. You know, but I want good people around that want to be at the club. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's going to be, a, it's a full on job. It's full time in football still. Um, it's not the Wellington Phoenix by no long, you know, low, low, you know, no, no way. But you know, who who knows in the future if we can do things right here, this club could be a a big club in New Zealand and then compete with the likes of Auckland cities, you know, so that's where we want to get to.
0: It sounds like an exciting project. And as you say there, I think, you know, if you're going in and it's almost a blank canvas and yeah. you've got a wealth of experience, a wealth of experience, mm. I should say in the game. Um, and, you know, a lot of your skills, see, this is the thing that, and I think this is where the game is changing. I think the goalkeeper coach, that role is now developing into more of an assistant coach, Role with uh, expertise in goalkeeping, so mm. you know a lot. As I said, a lot of your your skill set is transferable, mm. and you'll add a lot yeah. of value to that.
1: You're right, Glenn. you you know from your within your roles that you've been doing that. You know you now with the All Whites with the Phoenix. It was I was in charge of dealing with <coughs> the set plays, the the opposition analysis, deal, you know, presenting to the team. There was all of the different roles that it would come into. And, uh, and yeah, like it's gone to the days where the goalie coach, you do your 30, 40 minutes, you send the keepers in, and then you just stand behind the goal. Mm. You know, um, you're in involved with the coaches, with the meetings. You're, you're, you're working with the back four. You're working on the forwards of how the count is going to work or whatever it may be. So there's, it's a, a whole different different psyche now you know but when I started you send the keepers in you stand on the side and then the session finishes and you go in you've done your job kind of mm, thing yeah um now it's yeah now it's even more and, and then and just what like one thing that you know I've mentioned in the week we've we've now got the the season finishes here we've got five games left of the season this finishes on the, the 4th of September um so that season finishes and then, and then fortunately enough for me, Darren Basley again now, he's the under, still the under-20s and the All-Whites assistant coach now, he's uh, he's asked me to join his staff, so we're off to Tahiti for the under-20 World Cup qualifiers um, on the 7th of September, so I, I go away with them for yeah, two and a half weeks to Tahiti for for the World Cup qualifiers for the under-20s, so the club have been good here to let me go, but you know it's it's a good opportunity again just to keep myself involved at the, the highest level as yeah, well, you yeah. know. So, um, yeah, it'd be good, it'd be
0: good. Well, you get some fresh mitts sent down for that, so don't worry about that. Um, so we're now crikey, we're hour 27, so this might have to go into two parts. Um, but just, just to finish up, so a couple of things, um, mm. people may or may not know this. You've got a tattoo on your arm, or is it on your leg? Or well, you've got you've got a tattoo somewhere on your body? Can you tell everyone what that is?
1: I've got I've got a, I've got a few tattoos actually. <laughs> um, the people the people that have played with me and coached with me and seen me in the showers will know I've got a couple of tattoos in a in a place that no one else sees unless they're in the shower with me. Um, but um, I have got my on my arm. What I've done. A bit sad. No, sad. Midlife crisis. Laura calls it whatever it would have been. I uh, <laughs> I wanted tattoos that mean something to me. So I I I had so being involved with the club world cups, the confeds, the nations cup, New Zealand football, Wellington, all of this stuff. Every logo from those tournaments have been put into my arm, um, and then. Obviously, a big part of my whole journey through that one for 15 years now was Pro GK. <laughs> so, 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 why not add Pro GK to my arm? So that's on my yeah. That's that's on there as well. So I'm sure I must be the only goalkeeper <laughs> that, that has the tattoo of the the G on their
0: arm. Oh so. geez, I've not even got that. And I'll be honest, I I, I was thinking about doing it, but um, yeah. that's quite diehard. I remember you, you sending me that, and I, I thought it was like had been stenciled on with a marker penicillin. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, yeah. you've, you've, you've done that. Brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm fortunate enough. I've got the Phoenix on there, and I've got the New Zealand um, Fern and all of the stuff that I've been involved with. And ProGK has been with me that whole way through. So it just seemed it just seemed right, you know. Yeah. Um, I did. My, my son was joking, and he said, what you should do, Dan, is get, your, get the glove tattooed across your hand like that, <laughs> on your hand I'm, I went, yeah, no, one would say i it a bit
0: too far, I think. Yeah, I think that's that would be a lifelong sponsorship deal there. Um, so, just a couple of questions just to finish up on. Um, yeah. And I've asked this to previous guests on the pod. So, do you have a favourite goalkeeper shirt that you've either worn or you've seen another goalkeeper wear? Yeah, I... I...
1: I probably do. It, well, I think it was the, what would it have been? It was the Adidas, maybe Italian 91. It was a like Bodo Ilgna wore. It was a like a purple one with the sort of colours coming across it. It was a, like a top one that I absolutely love. The the other ones, I think anything that Gianluca Pagliuca wore, yeah. whether it be an Augsburg or a Rouge or something like that, those ones um the one that always sticks out to me which i do still think about when i see it is peter schmeichel's one he wore man united with the green arms yeah that's that's that sort of one that i go yeah that was a that was a top shirt you know that was that was always one that i liked um but yeah any of those sort of 90s shirts were pretty impressive really um you would you would have had them and i've seen photos of you with them with the when it may be like the Sondico shirt with the matching shorts with the stripe down the side,
0: oh, I had um, a, a Roish one <laughs> when I was a kid, yeah. and the, it had these yeah. massive shoulder pad things, yeah. like yeah. something that your dinner lady would wear. But it was yeah. it, it was brilliant. Yeah, you you would go like
1: nowadays, like when like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit older than you, but like my dad would spoil me rotten, like your dad would do, and like whatever. And start a new season. I don't know whether you remember, but in in Southend, um, at the little Crossroads, used to, uh, the Bell Road, there was there was the Bell Pub yeah. in End. and then Bell Sports. It, you, you, the Bell Sports. Yeah. So Dave Bell was the guy that owned that one, and uh, so he he was. I used to work in there sort of on a, when I was younger and six. You know, before I went to culture as a Saturday job. You know, in the mornings, so I'd always wear the high tech boots. Yeah. With the, the high tech Kings Cup you know, with the big floppy tongues, um, which were essential, you know. You had to make those tongues as long as you could possibly get them. Yeah. And then I'd always get the new kit. He'd always give me the matching shirt and shorts. And then whenever my dad, whenever we'd go on our Spain holiday at the end of the year, he'd try and find sports shops to buy the the Spanish gloves or something that's not around, you know. Yeah. So you'd always try and get those special ones for you. Um, where nowadays it's easy to get all these gloves wherever you go, you know, yeah. um, you just go on to progk.com and you just order <laughs> them. <it. laughs> <So>, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like those kind of, <clears throat> those kind of things, those memories now, I always still try and get the, the boots with the biggest tongue I could possibly do. You know, that's what yeah. right. it's all about. I,
0: I think, um, Young footballers today and, and people that enjoy football like they don't really know the hardships that you know we went through. I was I was looking. I've got a collection of shoot magazines, and mm. you look in the back and you've got all these fantastic Umbro kits and you know Spurs shirts, yeah. Man United, whoever. And then it says at the bottom, please allow twenty-eight days for delivery. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. Where now you can <laughs> order something four days now. People are moaning. Oh God! Well, exactly. You know um yeah, is yeah. just it's a different it's, world yeah.
1: it was a real uh, i said those those sort of times of kits and gear and all that stuff now again i say it so many times i just wish that i got two of everything when i was growing up and just yeah. put them all away yeah um because you see those ones i try to get hold of some of those uh the the, the predators that came out the remakes of the 98 yeah you know and like you know five hundred dollars or whatever they are yeah. over it you know to try and get um, but they were the yeah them sort of things at those points were fantastic you know the gear then um but now it's sort of just a given that everybody has
0: all the best gear probably yeah i i was actually i was actually saying that to my dad the other week because over the years we've had so many shirts whether it's south end shirts or whoever yeah. and exactly what you you say there you think god if only i knew because over the last three four five years the price of vintage shirts have just gone through mm. the roof and you know probably 7-8 years ago you could probably pick up like a player worn shirt for 40 quid off of eBay but if you look now yeah. you're probably touching 200 quid Yeah, and it's yeah. the same with the vintage boots like I'll be honest I'd, I'd bought a pair of um Predator Touch uh, oh, yeah. I got them probably 8 years ago I paid 300 quid for them mm. now somebody offered me about 2,000 pound for them I yeah. could, I wouldn't be able to afford that now. So it just shows nah. the, the the price of things, and uh, the collectors are sort of going mad for it all, and the price has gone up.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we were, we were, yeah, very fortunate. Some of that stuff coming through when we were coming in those in those nineties, you know, late nineties, around that time, the gear and everything was out. You know, that you look back now, the trading kit. We'd always joke with the Phoenix boys because. They'd go out there, like with your one now. They wear the tightest training shirt, and they got the skins underneath, and they wear the leg skins, and they do all this stuff. Well, I remember training at like at, uh, at Dagenham or uh, well, even Colchester. Ribeiro was yep. the kit. and uh, and it was you'd get a, a, rug, a t-shirt, a rugby shirt, and a jumper, and then some some of these drill bottoms. Yeah, you tuck them in your box, and, and they get soaking wet, and you'd like double your <laughs> weight, you know, and and. And they were the best things—the old rugby shirt with the collar up and yeah. all that stuff. It was, yeah, good. Uh,
0: yeah, I, 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 I do like to live in the past a little bit. Yeah, so, Goffy, So do I. I think I, I still think back to the Van der stuff, and it was them yeah. d- drill pants and a rugby shirt and a drill top, and as you said, you're diving around in the mud, and the, you know it's wet, and you know yeah. you're just bogged down in it, but it was brilliant. So, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely still living in the past. Um, so, just moving on, last question. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm going to do this as a double question. So, what is your favorite glove from the past? I think I know the yeah. answer, but I'll, I'll let you answer that. And then I'll ask what your favorite Pro GK glove is. Yeah, so the, the,
1: for probably the glove from the past. It's a real tough one because. I did like wearing, because the the ruche gloves were real big um, when I was growing up. But, you know what I really like? I love the Sondico one. Yeah. And uh, the Sondico one where they, we had them all. There was one with no entries on, with no entries on their hands, no entry signs. Oh, on the palms. On the palms. Yep. And 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 then the Sondico ones came where the, the, the the two fingers nearest your thumb, the Sondico went written down the side there. Um, they were like a sort of a bit of a classic one. There was some green and the yellowy colour ones. Scott Barrett was always in Sondico, so right. we'd wear a load of those, and they were the ones that I'd love, you know, against ones that you'd wish you'd kept. Mm. Um, and then and then you had a little point through where um, where we we had a little dabble in that it was the rouge was the one we just with the the black sort of um, arrow yep. on the back of the hand.
0: Yeah, I had and a pair the ruch,
1: of them. Yeah, and the roots on the finger were the ones through from there. And they were always um a roll finger. I'd always wear a roll finger. Um yeah, they were the they were the, they were the, they were the ones the two that really stick out when I was sort of growing up that you'd try and get and uh,
0: and try and wear. See I thought you was Probably, gonna say the Adidas finger save.
1: Uh yeah, we've they, they just made my hands look like buckets. They were massive. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the finger save ones, so they were the ones growing up. Then I went, in, we did the finger save, the green and the blue, um, which were, were lucky. My year with the England Sea team, we were lucky. Adidas gave us all of our gloves. Nice. So they were the ones that we had. But then going from that, I went into the, uh, you really remember they called it, they were the Adidas, they were called fingertip. Oh, they were the white ones.
0: They were brilliant.
1: Yeah, they were the, the white ones and they had the, like the the finger wrapped over the top. Yeah. And they were looking like, they were apps, like for me, the absolute sort of most comfortable and the glove that I wore, wore all the time.
0: Was it like um, a, uh, it had like grey and silver stripes on it? Is that right? That's, yeah, that's yeah. right,
1: yeah. They had, they had the S one on the side and they were brilliant. I absolutely loved those ones and, uh. Yeah, they were really good. I was always, you know, for the, and then switch it through to your like to the Pro GK that we've been wearing now. And I've gone. I was looking through some photos, and I've had, you know, again, I wish I kept them. I had the there was the original one that you did, which was like a red with a white palm rolled yep. finger, mm-hmm. and um and they were the ones that you originally sent over to me when I was over here. Yeah, and that wearing those ones, then i and then we just got all of the white ones, the 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 tech and contact ones for the, they were the ones that we did just for all the club world cups and everything. And I, and I must admit, I am partial to a white glove. Yeah. Um, the, the ones that I have been using the surge ones. Yeah. Uh, the last, the last part of the last, probably the last six months of the seasons have been, have been really good. And actually, I don't know whether it's the black palm or not, but I haven't worn as, as much as the other ones. So, yeah. um, they were they were good because they matched my training kit, and I always like to match. You know, it's like you know, look the part, be the part, that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but I, I would say the the aqua probably is the is the glove for me. Yeah. I like I like, the, I like the little sky blue and uh, and, the, and and how it works. You know, a, the, the cut and the fingers are good.
0: I think the one uh, that I um I liked which we did as a limited edition, was the, the England Pride ones that I sent down to you with the St. George's flag on it. I think that's that, the... They were, yeah, yeah.
1: They, they, they got a lot of... Um, and they're actually now, believe this or not, them, them gloves. So I, we played... You gave me those and I wore them, wore them all, all the way through the, 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 the first part of the season. And they were they were brilliant. I got a load of stick out of that because the coaches are going. I thought you were Kiwi. I went, no, nah, no, nah, I'm English. This is me. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. And and uh, so I had I had those ones. And then by chance, it was it was strange. We did it. We played at Eden Park in Auckland. We played a game up here. And um, at the end of the game, uh, the commercial department from the club wanted um, were asked if they could have those gloves to use as a prize for the sponsors lounge after. Oh, really? So I I got those signed, put them out there. And, um, and then that was it. I thought that was it done. Then, um, I spoke to our academy goalie coach at the Phoenix, um, at the end of last season when I was in Aussie still. And he, he messaged me and he took a photo of those gloves that were on a reporter. So they had a reporter from TVNZ was down doing a piece on the thing. And he was going to join in with the, uh, the session and he and he put those gloves on so in the self he had those gloves on um still with my signature on the palm, and uh, and he said oh no the, the company won them at uh, Eden Park in a sponsorship thing after in the lounge so they're actually still going around somewhere as well so um so I was like, wow, that's, uh, they were great. They, that was a, a top one. Because you did the same with America as well, didn't yeah. you, those
0: ones? Yeah, they were yeah. pretty successful with the Americans, mm. obviously. Um, yeah. Now, nah, listen, Goffy, brilliant. We've been going now for an hour and 40. I suspect oh. you've got some work to get on with, and I probably need to go to bed. But um, yeah. it's been brilliant catching up. It's been brilliant um, talking about your career and diving into various parts south end Colchester, Chelmsford, Grays, Dagenham, uh, yeah. back to Dagenham, Thurrock or Perthleigh as it was, and then obviously your sort of adventure and, and your time in New Zealand with Auckland City and the All Whites and the Phoenix, and obviously now talking about what you've. You, you're doing at Northern Rovers. And, yeah, it's, it's been brilliant. Some 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 names, Tony Roberts, McPain. You mentioned Terry Harris, who, who I work with, obviously, at Dagman. Yeah. I've been there for years. John Steele. Yeah. So brilliant. Um, it's sort of uh, <laughs> opened up a, a box of memories for myself with some of the names that you'd spoken about, the lads that you played. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm sure the, the, the listeners would have uh, taken a lot of... Uh, A lot of, um, what's the word I want to use? A lot from, you know, your experiences uh, throughout football. So really appreciate it.
1: No, no, Glenn, I I, I think it's great. It's just to go back when you start talking about it and you're talking to someone that's been around it and done that kind of stuff as well. It actually brings back good memories. and, And yeah, and I look at it and there's, would you go back and change anything? Probably not. Um, would you do things maybe a little bit different? Maybe at certain points, yes, but that's that's probably life, I suppose. Um, yeah. So thank you for your thank you for your time. I know it's late over there now, and uh, and I and I'll probably look forward to catching up with you really soon.
0: Yeah, definitely, mate. And and obviously, good luck with Northern Rovers. And uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. <laughs> and yeah, good luck going, your mate. season.
1: Get yourself promoted, that'd be great.
0: Oh, definitely. All right, coffee, top man, mate. Thanks top. very much. Thanks, mate. I'll All speak right. to you soon. Yeah, Take care. Bye. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, leave us a review and follow us on social media to help spread the word of Ministry of Goalkeeping podcast.